Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, your host as always. And with me as usual, uh, co-host, nominee for co-host of the year, Brandon Stevens. Brandon, say hello to the people. Jay, what's up? It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day, man. It's uh, really nice out. We're Pacific Northwest is uh, spring has sprung hey, around here. It is glorious. You know, it's funny. I I saw that the we're sitting at about 80 degrees today, yes. and I don't. I know a lot of people may not may think it just rains all the time up here, but when you get an 80 day 80 degree day in Washington, especially in April, you're pretty happy. I mean, not only are you happy, it's the most gorgeous place on earth. It's true, man. That's what they say. I, I hear they're having major snowstorms in other areas. <laughs> Tough, man. That's, Sorry, that's not fun. We love you though. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm not excited for that. Anyway, you can, uh, yeah, we appreciate you listening. You can uh, share this podcast. We appreciate if you liked it, rate it, review it if you can. Uh, You can listen pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean. Excuse the, uh, you know, it's... Spring. We got the doors open, man. Yeah, the doors are open. There's there's construction right. going on next door. We, we're, we're here, though. Yeah, we're here. We're here for it all. Um, you know, Brandon, I was debating whether or not to even talk about this on the podcast, but... Um, Why? You know, yeah. Then what, I was was like, your, what, were it, your, what were your reservations? Well, you don't know what I'm going to talk about I know, yet, but... But I just was like, I don't know if I want to be bring that much of a downer to the podcast, but oh. I just want to give... You know, a little shout out to our friend John Soar, who oh, passed away um, Rest in peace, John a week Soar. or so ago from COVID, unfortunately. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a shock, man, for sure. Mm. Like, I haven't talked to him in a, you know, other than through social media for a minute. But um, yeah, man, yeah. That dude, he was uh, like, that was probably my first friend when I moved to Olympia. So. I was like, yeah, man, we had some good times with John Soar in high school, and it just sucks, man, that that we have to lose people to something like this. And that's true, man. And that there's, it's become a political folly, but like real people lose their lives. That's like honestly, man. It's like the first, like the first person. I mean, I know, like I've heard of other people that have passed. Yeah, from this, I mean, but... for me personally, this is the second person I know that's passed right. away. But uh, not the other person I know. Is I mean, like I re- you. Jay, I only know one person personally that's died of cancer. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. So I, I don't know, man. And one year, it sucks. It's a wild world out here, man. Um, but yeah, you know, definitely rest in peace to john rip, and rip. you know our our condolences to his family and yeah thoughts and prayers and everybody huh? so yeah um you know on to some brighter news uh we just yeah, watched sun, the sun's shining yeah it's true man um you know we just watched our guy the clip of our guy anton uh, clifford emmy, emmy award winning possibly <laughs> man by it the was way. so good such a good scene in uh queen sugar i think it's season five episode nine i believe it's the newest, uh, most recent episode. I know we, we kind of... That's on the Oprah, Oprah Winfrey net, Network. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We so, watched that scene, man, and... It was... He killed hey, it. man, when they did... When Anton did the turn, I was like, this is about to be real, real. It was it was really good, man. Yeah, I'm man, not he, just saying that. Yeah, no, dude. He got Anton's that, my he guy. He got that lady and his, his the actress that was with him. 
in the scene. I mean, they were they were in the zone. Yeah, you're it, in the zone, man. When you start getting tears coming out and stuff oh, like that, man. like you're channeled in, you're dialed yeah. in. Yeah, they killed it, man. For that sure. was uh, that was a, that was really cool seeing him him do his thing, man. Yeah, I'm, put I'm proud the, of you'll him. have to put the the name of the episode. In I the, will in the description, the name and the um the season and the number. I will, man, for sure. Um, that was fire. Yeah, it was really good. Um, and then also, you know, our guy that we, we had on last week, Michael Murphy, his book is out. Um, it's When I Fell, How I Rerouted My Life and Found Strength in a Severed Spine. How I, I Rerouted My Life. Yeah. I just love that, man. Yeah, it's really good. I mean, you could take the take the injury out of it in this and just make it any situation right do you understand yeah it's i mean yeah you we all have to we can all be going the wrong direction but you can reroute you can the universe is on your side man right if you want it to be yeah anything is possible that's what we like to say here at the live to walk again podcast so um yeah man so this week brandon we we got i have a, a great guest lined up her name's eileen gruba she's an actress speaking of uh, jay's yeah. going hollywood in here. i know right we're going hollywood uh she's an actress writer producer and an advocate for uh disabled actors among other you know very cool things like uh she you know she's just an advocate for people of all disabilities um in hollywood specifically so um she she's very cool man she's very passionate about what she does she got you know a spinal cord injury essentially from a vaccine when she was a child um it attacked her she had like a bad dose of one vaccine and it attacked her spinal cord and uh it's crazy you know yeah it's it's uh she yeah she's been grinding though for the last like 30 years and acting and and doing all these you know writing and doing all kinds of things in in and around hollywood so you know we talked quite a bit about inclusivity and how to you know better have better representation of the disabled community and not you know like all disabilities are different so it's like you know like you can have this type of person she's she made the point like you know, they'll be like, oh, okay, we need to put somebody in a wheelchair. Well, let's put a child in a wheelchair because that, that's, like, easier to deal with than, it's you know, to digest. cuter or whatever, you know, it can be played off as, you know, like, oh, that's a cute little kid, poor kid, whatever. But if you have an adult in a wheelchair, it's like, ah, we don't need to do that. So she, she's just been yeah, fighting Yeah, they should have put a dog in a wheelchair because <laughs> then been, everybody would care. All right, this is crazy. Yeah, so she's been fighting the fight, man, down there, for uh, for everybody with disabilities, and and um, yeah, she's she's just an amazing woman. We're gonna get uh, get to her interview here though, and and we'll talk to you on the other side. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are excited to visit with Eileen Gruba. She is an actress, writer producer, speaker, and advocate uh, for the disabled community, among amongst many other other things. Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited. So 
for anybody who doesn't know your story already, uh, can you tell us a little bit? I know um, you were you had a spinal cord injury when when you were young. I mean, you're still dealing with some of the some of the impacts from that. Um, but tell us how you you were paralyzed as a child. When I was a uh, less than five years old, we got the vaccines for school. And I know no one wants to hear this right now, but um, we had the vaccines for school. And incidentally, um, we had the oral polio and the DPT in the same day. And I do remember that the, the one that was shot in my arm was bleeding all day because I remember commenting to my mom that mine kept bleeding. 30 days later, I'm running through a park with my siblings and just goofing off and flipping, doing flips and running. And I did a flip, I landed and suddenly I couldn't get up. I couldn't feel my legs anymore. And, uh, you know, everyone kept running and I couldn't get up. I, I literally couldn't get up. And so I was yelling across the park to my mom and, you know, she had a bunch of kids there. So I'm from a family of eight and I think she had six at the time and was pregnant with number seven. And, uh, I dragged myself across the park on my elbows to get to my mom. And, and I said, I can't feel my legs anymore. And she, um, looked for blood and didn't see any and said, are you hurting? And I was like, no, I just can't feel my legs. And so she sat me on a bench and put a blanket over me. Well, a little while later, a bee landed on my leg and stung it. And I watched it happen. I didn't feel anything, but I saw it do it. And I saw the swell on my leg and I didn't feel it. And before the end of the day, I couldn't sit up anymore. And my parents didn't know what was going on. So they brought me home. They my mom noticed my bladder was distending. She put me on the toilet. I fell off. She stuck me in the warm bath. I slid down. I couldn't even sit up anymore. And then they rushed me to a hospital. And um, the first thought was spinal cord injury. Um, but they weren't sure what happened. And so they put me in intensive care. They told my parents they didn't know if I was going to live because it was moving up my spine, whatever it was, was shutting everything down. And um, then I did live <laughs> and uh, they said she'll never walk again. She has a permanent spinal cord injury. And there was a lot of debate at the time because this was a long time ago. They didn't know if it was polio or something from the other vaccines or that I had maybe broken my neck when I fell, but they didn't know. And so all my life, there was this debate about whether it was the, the polio vaccine, the other vaccine, um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is when your body will attack a virus and over attack. So I didn't get my real diagnosis until about six years ago at UCLA when I was starting to have a lot of problems with neuropathy and couldn't sleep. And um, ever couldn't sleep. Every time I tried to fall asleep, I was having neuropathy. So they did an intense spine study. And they said, I have a C1 to C4 injury. My spine is shrunken below my neck there. That area is shrunken and very scarred from a viral attack. So they think it was the D DPT and not, in fact, polio. So um, they also said, I'm very lucky that I've been able to do all I have because when I was a kid they put me in a wheelchair and that was it you know they think you know she's never going to walk again but I didn't understand that as a child 
And so I kept trying to slide off my bed all the time and put weight on my legs because the truth is everyone around me was so upset. My mom, my dad, my whole family, my siblings were all, you know, upset, mad at me. And in, in, as a little child at five, you like don't understand. And so I just kept trying to get better so everyone could stop being upset. And I kept forcing weight on my legs. And you know what? Little by little, I got to the point where I could stand. I mean, I probably fell a thousand times doing it, <laughs> crumpled over by my bed. But um, eventually I got to where I could stand like a toddler, you know, holding on to the side of the bed. And little by little, I got where I could take a step. And then it was walking with one leg and dragging the other one. And um, I had a walker. And, you know, I've spent my entire life trying to recover from it. Um, since then... Uh, I've met a lot of people with spinal cord injuries and, you know, some of my really close friends are spinal cord injury walkers. And the interesting thing is my friend, Joe, we met when I was teaching at a school one time, a, a loyal Marymount film college. And we both saw each other walking towards the disabled parking <laughs> and we both turned around and looked at each other and said, Hey, you walk like me. <laughs> so it's the same movement, which is what alerted the polio experts at UCLA that something was not right that it was more likely a spinal cord injury so so that's what I have and uh, I've been fighting it ever since I've had many 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 rebuilds on my left leg because I was in the wheelchair in the years you're growing the most you know and had a lot of bones fall I've had to have my left foot and ankle rebuilt so many times all the way up to 2017 2016 and 2017 two complete rebuilds again I lived with an AFO on my brace for about 20 years and, uh, and now I'm hiking mountains again oh, that's awesome. that's <laughs> with, with walking sticks and with a, you know, with a gauntlet brace on the ankle when I hike. Um, oh. but I can actually get around these days without a, a brace for a while, but I, I can't walk like with flat, uh, shoes. I have to have an incline unless I've got a good solid brace on the ankle and I still have that movement and I still have a lot of the challenges that any of you with spinal cord injuries are very aware of like the neurogenic bladder and uh, the challenges that come with that neuropathy. Um, occasionally I get the, the tingling arm stuff, but I don't really have problems with my arms. Thank God. Um, but I do get the tingling shooting pains every now and then um, if I overdo it or if I have impact of any kind. Oh, wow. So do you remember, um, like, I mean, at what, at what age, like roughly, were you able to start kind of like getting up and, and walking a little bit again? Um, see, this happened when, when I was less than five. I know that I went a full year in the wheelchair and then some. I do remember at about seven that I was really starting to get moving more. And, uh, and, and, and using a walker at about age seven. And then by eight, I was jumping around. I was always dragging the left leg a little bit behind me. Um, everybody always said my body, my head moved faster than my legs <laughs> because my brain was like, go and the legs were like, no. Um, so, <laughs> so I fought, I mean, I've learned how to walk gosh, like five or six times now, because every time there's a massive rebuild, I mean, the first time they really did a major rebuild, I was in my early twenties and we didn't know then that they screwed it all up. 
but I spent, it was four years before I could walk across a room again with, uh, without a walking, um, brace on a, you know, one of those, um, what do you call those braces you get after surgery, those walking braces. Um, it, it was four years. And, and then after that, I had a, I had a few years trying to go along without it, but I, what we didn't know then is that they had left the, the outer leg bone hitting the bones beneath it when they rebuilt it. So I walked around like that for 20 something years. Um, but a lot of those years had an AFO to stop the movement at all from moving in the ankle. The interesting thing is what that when they did the rebuild in 2016, um, they had to take out a lot of uh, bone mass that had built itself internally. My body had built like a cast <laughs> around the ankle joint to stop that bone hip from hitting. So I had bone mass built all the way around that my body did in internally. So then in 2016, this doctor here who's supposed to be at the top of his game went in and took out all that bone mass and repaired all the ligaments and everything in there. But then he left that bone hitting again, that direct hit. So then we had to go back in and rebuild it again and then fix the ligaments that further ripped because it bent in more, but also he had to cut off the end of that bone. He just cut it off. And now I'm, now I'm doing pretty well. I still have, you know, the atrophied, left calf. I don't think that one's ever going back. I've got a triple fusion in the left ankle. I've got metal parts and I do still deal with pain pretty regularly, but it's not nearly as bad as when the bones were hitting. Wow. Wow. And I heard, um, in another, in either an article I read about you or, or in another interview that you had done about how you're also a cancer survivor and yeah. that you, you kind of attribute that to how many x-rays and things you, and uh, yeah. things you had to get when you were a kid. Um, so talk about you that. You know, um, I ended up with thyroid cancer in my early thirties and thyroid cancer is usually caused by exposure to radiation. And what I learned when I was working on this medical show in LA years ago, I was casting this medical series called Miracle Workers. And I went to Houston and um, interviewed a lot of the top doctors in the world at that time. And uh, I learned from the ones that work at the children's hospital that a lot of kids who spend a lot of time in hospitals end up with thyroid cancer in their early 30s because it takes that long to develop. But hospitals, x-rays, you know, there is no safe amount of radiation, no safe amount that's easily documented. And uh, so these kids that are constantly being exposed to x-ray extra after x-ray, x you know, like me, like all these surgeries when I was a kid to rebuild the feet and, you know, you're always getting x-rays. And every time you have another problem with your legs, you're going in and getting more x-rays and CT scans and all this stuff. And uh, so I ended up with thyroid cancer and uh, went, went through that. And and I, we also have a genetic cancer syndrome in our family. So I got all the cards, um, but uh, somehow, uh, you know, somehow I keep finding the strength to go get through it all. And the same question you asked me a little while ago, I asked my, one of my older brothers because both of my parents have been dead for many, many years. So I can't really ask them a lot of details. I remember a lot from childhood and I remember a lot of what I went through. Um, but I didn't remember how long it took for me to get out of the wheelchair. I didn't, I don't, I only have milestone things I can remember. So I asked my brother, Tom, 
I said, you know, do you remember how long it took me to get to where I was out of that wheelchair? He goes, you know, man, I don't know, but you never sat still even when you were in the wheelchair. <laughs> and back then wheelchairs were way too big for us, you know, right. just way too big. I mean, we have pictures of me sitting in this adult size wheelchair with pillows all around. Cause you know, it's way too big for my little tiny body back then. Wow. So, uh, it's, it's interesting because we didn't have MRIs and all that. So they couldn't really figure out what was going on. It's amazing. Right. Right. Wow. You de- you're definitely a fighter, Eileen. That's uh, I like it. That's you're uh, you've really pushed through some crazy stuff. Um, yeah. I wonder before we go on, I want to get into how you started acting and stuff, but I, I, I was just wondering, it popped up in my head, like how, so how do you feel about vaccines? now like what are your thoughts if you don't want to answer that I completely understand it's a tough one you know I'll be honest with you completely and if people want to hold it against me who cares everybody's got their own life to live and uh here's where I'm at I've never had another vaccine since that one that almost killed me and has literally cost me my entire life you know um all my life I've suffered for that vaccine if I could go back and find a way to get out of it I would have Um, everybody's asking me now because I'm at considered at higher risk you know for this coronavirus if I'm going to get the vaccine but here's the way I see it since there's no way to know if the spinal cord injury was caused by the actual virus they stuck in me or my immune system attacking that virus and messing up my spine either way my spine got attacked in such a massive way that it almost killed me and, and changed my whole life. So there is no way I'm getting another vaccine. <laughs> I'd rather, I mean, it's been too big a battle and I've, I've suffered a lot for it. You know, you know, and your audience knows how much we suffer financially, medically, every way in, in society, in life, in work. I don't want to go through it again. It was a lot. So I'm not going to risk sticking something in my body that can do it again. It's I'd rather stay away from people for as long as I have to and wear a mask. Right. Right. I kind of completely understand. Um, so then how, uh, like moving off of that and, and, uh, you know, when did you start acting and, and what kind of drew you to, to start doing that? I'm assuming you did it as, as a kid or, or a teenager or well, something. You know, when I was in my wheelchair when I was a little kid, I came from a very athletic family. If you saw my siblings, you know, it's like they're all the perfect picture of health and athleticism, all of them. Even my sister was a runner. My brothers were all football players, athletes, you know, and uh, and I was a little athlete before this happened. Um, But when I was paralyzed and I was you know, the way I felt was that I was stuck inside and everybody else got to go out and play in the snow. And it was just very upsetting to me. So my mom started bringing me all these art supplies and I started creating all the world I wanted to be in. And I think that was the creative spark, but I started making like puppets so I could do puppet shows and that kind of stuff. But I also, you know, because my brothers were all football players, I used to go watch their football games and, uh, I just would make my mom park my wheelchair 
right on the track in front of the cheerleaders. So rather than watching the football game, I'm up there watching the cheerleaders because I really want to be, I really want to be a cheerleader. And that, I think that drove me out of my wheelchair, to be honest. I really, really wanted to be a, a cheerleader. And um, I share this story because I feel like um, everybody's medical situation is different, first of all. And um, there's complete spinal cord injuries and incomplete ones, but not too many years ago at UCLA, my friend Murphy, who's since passed away, who was a quadriplegic, started uh, getting put into this study that I think it was the Christopher Reeves Foundation there that had him in this study where they were putting spinal cord injury patients up onto these things so they could put weight on the spine because they're learning that weight on the spine helps heal a lot of spinal cord injuries. So I found that very interesting that me as a little child figured that out yeah. only because I just, I couldn't understand why I couldn't walk anymore. I just couldn't understand. So I put weight on it. So all the time, all the time, all the time. And my mom was like, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself. And I just kept doing it. And um, I think it's important to share that story because when you look at the course of all my life, um, it was my mental state that was like, I have to do this. And for me, it's like, I had to be, I just had to be a cheerleader. I just had to, <laughs> and, and it mattered so much to me. And so that's when I really started performing. Um, and then as I got older, I kind of got pulled into it. I got approached um, a few times to do modeling at a very young age. And I did a little bit of that. And then I started doing musicals in Atlanta and um, loved being on the stage. I started training. I started working for a casting director, but I kept getting pulled back, you know, into this arena. And then in my, I think about second year of training at Alliance Theater and private classes and doing musicals in Atlanta and all that, I found out I had to have my leg completely rebuilt because it was caving in more. I was getting to the point where I couldn't walk very much. I'd walk a, a for a few days and then they'd have to cast up the, the leg and then the right leg was given out because it was too much pressure on it. So then they'd have to cast up the other leg and it was just getting ridiculous. I was falling all the time. And uh, so I had to have this rebuild and um, I went to one of my teachers and I said, you know, I'm going to have to have my leg rebuilt. They're saying it's going to be at least a year recovery because of the bones and the Achilles tendon and all that. And, uh, I just feel like maybe I'm not going into the right profession for somebody who's going to have a walking challenge. I'll never forget this as long as I live because she said this to me, Eileen, I've trained a lot of actors through the years. Most of them I'd say, no, please go do something else. This is a hard career to go into, but not you. You have to do this. So I was like, hmm, okay. So had my rebuild, had a cast up to my hip with a handle on it because it was so heavy. I was back in a wheelchair because they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me risk. I've always had bad balance since getting up to walking again and they didn't want me to fall and mess up all the bone work. So I was, I was back down for quite a while, but I went to classes. I kept going to classes and working for this casting director and just doing every bit that I could. And then incidentally, um, the church choir that I was in was doing these musicals and they didn't mind that I couldn't walk. So <laughs> um, they would always work around it. And um, even then when I got to where I could work in a construction boot, um, 
and walk just a little bit, but not much. Uh, we would like, I did Cinderella in construction boots. And when I had to walk from the place where I was singing to down the steps, we had a little boy dance up the steps and literally dance me down just so I could lean on him. Cause I couldn't actually walk. Wow. <laughs> so we played all kinds of games to get me going. And then I just fell in love with it. I realized when I moved to New York a few years later that um, all of this life experience was going to be gold on my shelf. All of my life experience and all this pain and suffering and all the challenges and the losses of my parents and health and everything were going to be really valuable for this career. And I started learning really how to use it in my work. Wow, that's that's an amazing story. Um, yeah, are you still in touch with that acting teacher that, that gave you that? I lost touch with her. Um, I would have to I would have to dig deep to go back and find her. But um, wow. she was teaching at Alliance Theater School. I kept in touch with her for a little while after I moved to New York, and then I was in New York a few years. But the walking was just impossible in New York. That was when I had that w w surgical boot on my leg and I would just walk everywhere with that and then put shoes on when I, when I got somewhere. But, you know, the industry, that was when the industry really started to give me some grief because they were noticing that I walked funny and, <laughs> you know, an agent once make fun of the boots I wore and the, you know, in front of a group of people. And I just really started catching grief, but it was really hard to get around a walking city because I'd go out as far as I could every day. And then my leg would give out and I'd have to sit down in New York city, you know, <laughs> crazy sure. that is sit down, put my foot up, <laughs> you know, bend my leg this way. So the blood could drain back out of my foot. I'd sit there for a while till my leg went numb and then get up and start to try to walk a little longer. Oh, man. So it's, it's been some brutal, brutal years. Um, dealing wow. with the pain of this thing but that's why I ended up moving to California um because I needed to be able to use a car not have to walk all the time so so yeah so you so you what what were you doing um as far as acting goes when you were in New York how much did you get a lot of work there is that I mean is that so you moved to LA just basically because of the the walking around was was too much for you in New York yeah. Yeah, that's exactly why. I was getting some work in New York. Um, I got a few little films and I, I was training at HB Studios there. And, you know, I did um, a lot of musical work there. And uh, so I would, I tried to audition for uh, the big theater productions and I had great vocal teachers who were putting me up for the big stuff. But then when it came to movement, you know, at that time in New York city, they were not open at all, zero openness to disability. So I would get really far with the singing and then I was out when it came to movement. Um, but I did get to do some, some movies and we would sing at like, there was this place called don't tell mamas on 44th street where you could sing and you could just link across a piano and have someone play the piano and you don't have to walk at all so uh <laughs> there are always clever crafty ways to get moving as an actor um who had a limp um but then I moved to LA and dealing with dealing with the way people dealt uh how they responded to my movement the way I walk you know the way I balance and everything that is what pulled me into advocacy. 
because I, I, yeah, I was going to ask you, how did, uh, how, what was the difference between New York and LA um, as far as, as being open to, to, um, you know, accepting your, your disability? I came across some cruel people in New York for sure. Um, but they would flat out say it to your face. I had an agent say, walk across the room. And then he looks like made this face, like he was looking at a leper and he was like, you're never going to work in this industry. You walk funny. And, uh, I just smiled at him and I said, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I, I actually <laughs> said to him, I think I've done better than most of your girls aspire to do. I think I'm going to be just fine. And so, um, I limped out his door and went and found a much bigger agent. You know, I got signed by a much bigger agent a week later. And so I kind of feel like it always lets you know who people are. Like my mom used to tell me when I was a kid, she used to say, what you have there is a great judge of character. Other people's character. They're not showing you what's wrong with you. They're showing you what's wrong with them. And so I've always remembered that. And in that moment, I looked at that guy and I, my head thought, thank you for showing me who you are. Let me go find someone with a much more open mind and um, aware of possibility. And so I walked out the door and kept going and it did end up being a gift. So um, I got pulled into advocacy because you know what? I have a really great memory. And I will never forget how I was treated as a child with a disability. Oh. I will never forget it. And I think a lot of the kids coming up today, the millennials, the younger generations have no idea how bad it used to be and brutal bad. And yeah. I will never forget it. And I won't forget how people treated me coming into LA in my early twenties when I should have been working the most, you know, in your time when you're most, you're most youthful and beautiful, all that stuff. Um, even your best movement, <laughs> everything. Uh, I was completely shut out because as people discovered the limp and then the brace, uh, the doors shut and a lot of those doors stayed shut for many, many years. Some of them are still shut to this day. Although I'm getting better and better at going right over their heads because I don't, I don't appreciate it and I've worked too hard. And, but the places and the people who care about craft and skill and hard work, those places have been open to me. Like, you know, getting into the actor's studio. The actor's studio is world renowned as one of the hardest places to get into as an actor. I got in fairly easy. And with my first audition, I played a girl with a spinal cord injury <laughs> who's mad at her maid for not bringing her more alcohol and goes into a raging temper tantrum and then drags herself across the floor and gets in her own wheelchair to go get her alcohol. And, um, and they didn't know me. They didn't know anything about me. They just saw me come in and play that to with everything I had. And it got me sent all the way to finals on my first audition, which is kind of unheard of at the actor's studio, you know? So it, it, thank God for that place. Um, once I got moving in there and got training with some of the best people in the whole industry, I got to learn really where my skill set was by comparison in their observation. And so they kept me encouraged and moving through the years when the industry itself was completely shut doors to me. And so I started advocating more and more. I made really good friends with Danny Murphy and anyone who has a spinal cord injury probably knows who Danny Murphy is. Um, he was the guy who was in all the Farrelly brother movies. Right, Always. Yeah. 
because he actually got his spinal cord injury when he was a teenager, when he was with the Farrelly brothers. And he stopped one of them from jumping off of a pike into the water. And they didn't realize the water was lower than they thought. And he, he stopped them and said, let me show you how. And he dove first and broke his neck. And so Danny and I made friends when I first moved out here. And I would go with him to advocate because I could wear a long skirt to the floor and push his wheelchair in the door and then walk out from behind the wheelchair <laughs> and have this fire and passion come out of me that they didn't know where it was coming from. You know, they're like, why does this care girl care so much? But it's interesting because the people can always hear it from people who aren't in the problem, if that makes sense. So Danny always would be like, okay, here's where we're going. And here's what I want you to do. And he was egging me on to like stand up and speak up for us. And it just became a thing where I just started speaking up all the time. And then, you know, it took a lot of years to get some of those doors back open. And as a matter of fact, the more I advocated for the inclusion of people with disabilities in our industry, the more the doors shut. And then a big couple of things happened. The cancer situation happened. I couldn't get health insurance because of pre-existing conditions. Oh, and I was literally fighting for my life. So then I started thinking to myself, you people have no right to take my life, get out of my way. <laughs> and I became a fierce fighter. I was too kind in my early years. Now I became unkind because this is my life on the line. So I really started fighting loud and hard. And I just started saying, you know what, if they're not going to let me in the door, I'm going over their heads. I'll go to the head of the network. I'll go to the head of the studio. You know, I've had to go, I've been forced to go to showrunners and say, what are we going to do about discrimination in your casting office? Because I've spent 14 years trying to get in and they haven't had one audition I could come in for really, you know? And, and so you just get to the point where you're like, now my life's on the line. Now get out of my way, you know? And so eventually we started to have more and more people come in and more and more people work together. Danny and I worked hard for a long time and Gail Williamson also, who's an agent for a lot of people with disabilities. So we had a little crew, but I remember saying at one point when we were advocating, I was like, you guys better start letting me work because if you don't, I'm coming back with an entire army of cripples and you're going to have to deal with all of us. <laughs> well, guess what? Now we have an army. Yeah. <laughs> it's a loud army. And every time these kids come into this town and they reach out and find me, I end up sitting in cafes through the years and talking to people that are really good friends of mine now, like Keely Wells, who's running a management company now for, only for people with disabilities and Paul and Billy Ford are friends of mine who are in wheelchairs who are working in the industry and James Ian and I could name so many of them who who I sat down with Tatiana Lee who now works for respectability and Andrea Jennings and so many where I just said listen you guys I need you to start speaking up I need you to start doing interviews I need you to start talking about disability inclusion because I'm exhausted <laughs> I'm so tired <laughs> and we need more people I can't do it all and um and I wasn't doing it all but it felt like way too much coming on too few people and so I'm 
every time the young ones came in, I'm like, I'm so grateful and I'm glad you're young and you have a lot of energy. So let me tell you what you need to do. And then is when too many interviews would come my way, I'd be like, can you interview Paul Ford? Can you interview James Ian? Can you interview Don Grabowski? Can you please talk to these people? Can you introduce Keely Wells to this person and that person and, and try to open as many doors for all the collaborative people coming in and getting them training and Paul Ford and I set up these workshops where we got free training for anyone with any kind of disability and free headshots and any support they needed so that they couldn't say I didn't have a way to do it so that they could be trained and ready because it's really important to be trained and ready and not just come in here and be like, hey, I have a disability. You got to come in and be like ready to work and so that you don't harm the community because we've had that happen a lot through the years where people came in with absolutely no skills, no training. And that only brings the whole community down because they connect us all together, you know? So we need really good people working hard, training hard and being really good at what they do. And you can see the effects of the work we've done over the last, you know, I've been in the business almost 30 years and we've gone from only Jerry Jewell on TV to how many people we have they're all they're they're starting to show up all over the place and being authentically cast thank god yeah no kidding i yeah i was gonna bring up um you know because i know denzel washington was it played a uh, quadriplegic in that movie uh, the bone collector i think is what it was called mm-hmm. and i remember all my friends in this you know this is like the early 2000s being like oh you gotta watch this movie i'm like i i love denzel washington he's a great actor but i don't know if i need to watch him play somebody with a spinal cord injury because I already know what that's like you know yeah and it's it's kind of hard to watch people who don't have any of that experience because the reality is in my observation most of the people that I know who have any kind of disability especially if they acquired it later in life or weren't born with it they have a, a sense of loss. They have a sense of pain. They have extreme joy and extreme sadness. If they've had it for any length of time, they have fought discrimination more than most people can even imagine. It's constant. And as a child, I remember how bad it was. I, I don't have any loss of memory there and the pain when I touch it, when I think about what these kids go through, it's the thing that has kept me from not quitting the industry when it got too hard, because I thought about all those little kids coming up behind me. And I'm like, I'll be damned if they are going to come into a world as hard on them as it was on me. When I was a little kid, I didn't know anybody else who had a disability, you know, and nobody. And so I got picked on everywhere I went, you know, and even when I got to walking, that was even worse. People were actually kinder when I was in the wheelchair. When I got to walking, they started really treating me like a leper, you know, and then it was fun to knock me over and, you know, chase me home from school when they knew I couldn't get away from them and throw rocks and balls and all kinds of like meanness. And I sit there and I think about those kids and I'm like, you know, there was a story I read not too long ago about a little girl who lost her leg because of a cancer battle. She lost her leg. And then the kids in school tormented her so much that she took her own life. And I'm That's like, really? 
really? So I sit there and I go, if you had any idea what we actually went through to still be here and to still be alive and to still be speaking up, then you might have a little respect for our fire, our voice, our smile. <laughs> you know, like a lot of times I'll come bouncing in a room with a big smile and I've heard people say, oh my God, she smiles all the time. Her life must have been easy. And I'm like, well, let me contradict that thought. Um <laughs> smiling because I know what the other side of it looks like, you know? So um, I just have such enormous respect for anyone who has survived the things we've survived because I know what it takes to survive it. And I don't want any more kids to go through surgery after surgery, hospital after hospital, IV after IV, needle after needle, surgery, surgery, chemo, radiation, and then everyone's cheering them on when they're a little kid going, oh, just be strong. You got this. Do one more surgery. Do one more chemo. You know, go for it. Be strong. And then if you do, we're going to pick on you, beat you up, keep you out of work, keep you out of society for the rest of your life. So go ahead, survive for us. You know, and it's unfair. It, you know, that's how I feel about it. And I realize I'm very sassy about this subject. <laughs> But I want people to start looking at people with disabilities with some respect, yeah. respect for having survived whatever it is that put us here. And that is no small feat. And people don't tend to understand it until they've been in the battle themselves. But you didn't have to make our lives all so hard so that you could, you know, one day understand it. Um, I, I want to get to a world where you see enough people on screen with disabilities that even just stop asking. Right. That, leave that, it alone. Yeah, know? no, that's beautiful. Eileen, I was going to ask you about um, specifically, you know, like you hear every year, like when the Oscar nominations come out that it's like, Oh, only white men were, um, were, were nominated for producer or director or whatever. And there's like a huge outrage, you know, women were, which I feel like, yeah, women should be included in that and, and African-Americans and, and every other, you know, ethnicity and, and sub, sub uh, group there. But have you noticed in like, just over these last few years when that's been such a big story, um, have you noticed that the inclusion, inclusivity, I guess, in Hollywood with people with disabilities is getting better or has it like jumped forward like these other groups have in the last couple of years have you noticed it hasn't come nearly close to the movement forward of all the other groups as a matter of fact a lot of these groups statistically by the numbers um by the percentage of of people in their community that are actually in the industry uh, compared to the amount of people who are in the industry overall they're working exponentially more than people in the disabled community who, who literally are 20% of the population. And we have a lot of people in the industry who have various disabilities and um, most of them are not working, but we are seeing a lot more than we used to see. And what we've got to get them to kind of wrap their heads around is the diversity in disability. Like, you know, now they're just like, okay, we have to see a wheelchair and it's better if it's like a little kid because that's cuter and easier to look at or something. And it's like, okay, just stop. <laughs> um, there are all kinds of disabilities. 
there are 40 million, over 40 million Americans who have some sort of walking disability. A lot of times when they used to say, well, we can't hire a person with a real disability because they're in a wheelchair in this scene and then they're walking in this scene. And I was like, ah, I have a solution for you. And that's called spinal cord injury recoverers. You need them walking, they can walk and they'll be happy to be sitting in that chair because they won't be in pain for that period of time. And they know what what it's like. They can play it correctly, right? And they still have a lot of the atrophy and stuff. So it won't even look weird. You know, to me, it drives me nuts when I see a girl in a mini skirt in a wheelchair with a big old calf muscles, which I've fought for years to have those muscles. (laughs) You don't have them if you're not walking. I don't even have them now and I am walking. So it's it's always funny to see, you know, that kind of thing. Um, We all know (laughs) what it looks like, but I'll, but there's just so much diversity within disability. And Absolutely. I feel like it's like, if you're going to talk about diversity, you've got to include everyone. And a friend of mine in the UK started this um, online community and the, his website is called Disability Talk UK. And he's been advocating for disability inclusion all across Europe. And he started this hashtag all in campaign and he had all these people sign up and the campaign went viral out there and everybody's putting hashtag all in but they also all signed on to agree to try to remove barriers wherever they see them nice you know so if you see a barrier for people remove it you know let's make this world accessible for everyone so i'm seeing a lot of things improve i really am and he also did a poetry contest this past year i was one of the judges he's the reason i got to go meet stephen hawking a few years back uh because we were both judges in a poetry competition called my disabled world and this time he did uh or that was a photography competition and now he did a poetry one and when you read the poems I think I was hit harder than a lot of the other judges because of my life experience. But I read these poems and I was just like in tears most of the time because I feel their pain. And I feel like all these years of hard work and they're still feeling this way. They're still feeling unheard, unseen, unappreciated, unwelcome. And I just, it just breaks my heart because I literally have put 80% of my life force over the last 30 years into changing that in every way that I could speaking up to my detriment many, many times. And um, now we're finally seeing the, I like to say the tidal wave hit (laughs) um, in our industry where they're starting to realize that we're human beings like everybody else. We still have the same dreams. We still have the same desire to, to be loved, to work, to succeed, to have children. We don't want any less because we have more challenges. As a matter of fact, we probably want more out of life because we've faced life. And, you know, there's this weird perception that people with disabilities are somehow weaker or pathetic or to be pitied or something. And I was like, I got news for you. <laughs> People with disabilities are stronger and so much stronger that this is why we have 
bullies who are so violent because they think they could easily crush someone with a disability. And then they find out that's a spirit that's not crushable. And then they get mad because they didn't get to easily crush you, you know, and like, well, you can't crush me. <laughs> no one can crush me, but me, you know, you can harm me physically, but you, you cannot crush my spirit. You can't do it. And I've been saying that's why I said, make sure you read that bring in the game changers article that's on strive magazine, because I'm like, these are the strongest people on the planet. And we have decided somehow that they are less or weaker when it's the exact opposite. They've got more to bring to the table and they're stronger. They're mentally stronger. They're, they're spiritually stronger. They're far more able to adapt, adjust, and ever overcome because they have to do it all day long. And a perfect case in point is pandemic. Almost everyone I know with a disability has been laughing their ass off through this year because they're all like, look at everybody crying about not being able to go to work, not being able to go anywhere, not having any money, worried they're not going to get the medical care they need. Welcome to the world of disability. <laughs> That's what people with disabilities live with all their lives. So if you had a problem with the way the coronavirus went down, then maybe we need to think about the fact that we inflict that on a whole community of people we keep them out all the time, tell them they can't work, tell them they can't have the medical care they need and all that. So, so I hope that at least coronavirus has awakened to the world, the world to the fact that we're all vulnerable. Anyone can get sick at any time. Or as my mom used to say, any one of those kids could walk out in front of a bus tomorrow and be in worse shape than you. And she's right about that. And so why do we as a society think it's okay to punish people because they went through life's battles sooner? Because it isn't a matter of this person's gonna have a disability and this person isn't. It's a matter of time. If you live long enough, you will have some form of disability at some point in your lifetime. So just because somebody went through it as a kid doesn't mean we have a right to punish them for it. We should be respecting them for it and appreciating what they went through to come through it. And also realize that, this is why I call them the game changers, everybody's gonna face their life one day. And guess who is really good at figuring out how to live? <laughs> the people who've had to, the people who fought these things and survived, um, I think are our greatest survivors. And I know that every time someone who knows me is facing their life, they call me. Yeah. What do I do? How do I do this? How do I beat this? Because, because we have learned how to adapt, adjust, overcome, overcome, overcome. We're constantly overcoming, even though we never get to fully overcome what we're dealing with, but we have to overcome every day, every obstacle, yeah, every challenge, it... every medical bill. Uh, I mean, there's so much <laughs> to, to take in every day that you've got to You've got to respect that and realize that if we, if we shut out this section of the population, we're shutting out our problem solvers, our game changers, our strongest people. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm anxious to read the game changers article that you were telling me about before we started recording. And yeah. I'll definitely attach that to the, to the podcast so we can you know, let the audience listen to it as well. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, it's, it, 
your message is so beautiful because you can hear the passion in your voice for for this advocacy that you're doing for everyone and on top of I mean you're you're an amazing actress and and writer and you know producer and all these other things so you know it's and that's the thing like so many people with disabilities are so you know multifaceted it's not just one thing that um you know that we're 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 capable of so it's it's Mm -hmm. so nice to uh to be able to talk to someone like you that's so you know passionate about what you do thank you thank you and i really want everyone with a disability to know just to know that you have every right to every dream you have and no one has any right to tell you that's not possible for you i i mean we have a whole society trying to make us all feel less and I refuse to buy into that game and I hope my message at least gets across to the whole entire community of people with disabilities is less is not is not what we are (laughs) far from it we got a lot more to bring to the game than people even realize and so when they open up to us it's only going to be a gift to to their world Absolutely. Well, Eileen, I, I think that's a great, great place to end. I appreciate you so much coming on and, and you know, imparting some of your wisdom on, on our audience and myself. And, and we appreciate you so much. Keep up all the good work and maybe we can catch up down the road a ways. Hey, thank you. Can I add one more thing because of the audience you have here? Absolutely. Yeah, go right ahead. Okay. Don't hate me for it, guys, but listen to this for just a second. Just because a doctor tells you something is impossible, you do not have to believe that. You got to trust your own guts and your own will and keep fighting no matter what it is. If I listened every time somebody told me it wasn't going to be possible, I probably wouldn't be alive today. And I certainly wouldn't be walking today and hiking mountains. So I just want to say, trust your own guts and keep fighting. And sometimes it takes relentless will and pushing through the pain but you got to keep moving forward. If it matters to you, you got to keep trying. Yeah, that, that's an amazing message. Thank you so much, Eileen. You're welcome. All right, we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Right, Thank you. you. Bye. All right. All right, that was Eileen Gruba. I really appreciate her uh, taking the time. And like, she got back to me super quick, Brandon, and was like, let's do it. And, uh, I love it. You know, I love when people are, are so... Uh, gung-ho about doing the podcast and you know giving their time to yeah chat. it's all about advocating and i i like her message about you know um don't really ever take no for an answer mm-hmm. um, yeah you don't have to you don't have to um, believe that you'll never walk again or right you know don't, this yeah. is your fate yeah don't don't uh take doctors words as as gospel you know um i wanted to say though that i did read her article since since the recording of that podcast called bring in the game changers and it was good it's really uh you know she's she's just a passionate powerful woman and i i appreciate all that she's doing man she's she's really putting it out there and and not you know just giving zero zero fucks brandon say yeah i mean she's she's out there for everybody so i believe her and anton are like you know 
connected in some way too. I think they they no, they uh, spoke in the past. Yeah, that's what she said. Okay. So. Yeah, well, they're both they're both in the uh, in the acting scene in the entertainment world. Yeah, I mean, they're so. they probably got people that know people. <laughs> but yeah, they're uh, you know, I just I love the message, man. I love what what she's doing, and and I definitely appreciate it. So, um, yeah, the, the we'll uh, attach that that article to the the bring in the game changers article to the podcast, so you can all read that. Um, but yeah, check out Eileen if there's any like uh, up and coming uh, disabled actors out there. You know, give her a shout. She she'd be more than happy to uh, to talk to you, give you some guidance, whatever the case may be. And uh, yeah, don't forget to to check out Anton's scene there in Queen Sugar. Um, yeah, Brendan and her advocacy, man. Um, you know, it's just cool to see. Remember, I remember my dad like about almost burned down our high school because they wouldn't. Uh, he made them put in um, fix the doors, the doors, and uh, the elevate. Like I remember, like the ele- elevator was all messed up. Well, I mean, it was built in the seventies, right? So, and was, then, it, was it only built in the seventies? I thought it was built before. Whatever, sixties, seventies, fifties. It was. It was older than it's old. Older than the Disabilities Act. Right. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. But like you should, it's a public. Yeah, there school. were no. It was a public school. There were no like automatic doors on the school. And, I mean, this is '98, but still, you'd think that. Uh, yeah. You'd think they would have elect or automatic doors yeah. on on a school, or at least a, a button to hit to yeah. to open an automatic door. But I mean, they're up to code now. I yeah, believe. dude. If if they found out now that that was like they'd get canceled. Oh yeah, it would be like, over. Yeah, it would be. There'd be. Probably a mad Twitter storm of canceling North we'd, Thurston. We'd probably own that school right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. It, <laughs> well, I hope everybody is enjoying their day, and uh, hopefully, you guys have some nice weather wherever you're listening to this at. But uh, you know, next week we have some more amazing guests. I know um, I spoke to a young lady on uh, Instagram who just had remember that nerve replacement uh or like nerve reprogramming surgery we talked about a while ago where you basically you have some extra like nerve endings um and there's a way they figured out how to plug those in to to control like your hands and your arms that's so right quadriplegic basically so she's a she's a c4 quadriplegic you could, think, you could think it and it would do it for no, you no no that was like uh, epidural stimulation oh, I think. Okay. but no this is something completely like hey how did you feel about uh elon musk tweeting about spinal Ooh. cord injuries i was excited were you man. hyped up because yeah, i was, I was like excited. damn that was kind of cool that he like i tweeted went back for a quadriplegic i tweeted back at him just i was like come on the podcast let's talk about it but you know he does he he sometimes just like he's hits so back random, like random yeah. people so yeah, i was like does. man come on he might please see this one Keep doing it, man. he'll see you eventually yeah so he's uh that's yeah that's definitely uh a goal man that would that would be the epic i don't know if we'd even have another podcast after that brandon Hell, i mean we probably but would but we would it would sure. be a whole different podcast at that point. <laughs> yeah it would be on another level yeah. at that point um talking about sell out (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that that was exciting though to hear elon musk talk you know about uh the the capabilities of the Neuralink and and what you could expect and then also the future of it yeah yeah he went pretty i only saw the first tweet of him saying basically that um somebody with a spinal cord injury 
could you with the first Neuralink will be able to use uh, their cell phone as fast as somebody that's mm-hmm. using their hands will be yeah. able to use theirs and I, and then a couple days that's when I tweeted back at him and then a couple days or you know whatever I didn't look again on Twitter for a couple days and I saw that he had uh, put quite a bit more on that tweet after tweet he was going going hard mm-hmm. are you looking it up right now is that what you're doing yeah i just yeah i was uh, trying to find the tweet we need to have someone that's paid to do that like every other podcast <laughs> dude just pop it up elon just Musk. hold on hold on we'll have uh we should have maddie d do that for us yeah <laughs> come come research stuff for us while we're talking right yeah matt just uh we need you to be our research analyst please Okay, here's the three tweets from Elon. So Elon says, first, Neuralink product will enable someone with paralysis to use a smartphone with their mind faster than someone using thumbs. Boom. Later versions will be able to shunt signals from Neuralink's in-brain to to Neuralink's in-body motor sensory neuron clusters. Thus enabling, for example, paraplegics to walk again. The device is implanted flush with the skull and charges wirelessly so you look and feel normal. We've we've gone over that. Yeah. Um, so promising. Yeah. No, I'm excited, man. It's like that he keeps tweeting about it. This guy's doing everything, man. He's it's crazy. In, he's invested in that for sure. Yeah. So. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's a pretty noble cause. Like, you could be doing anything right now. You could be sitting on a beach on your own island. I mean, some and- of his stuff is futile, as he would put it. Like... I mean, they're, the, I'm saying a building you, a tunnel is probably not changing the world, right? but it's but still progressing. If, yeah, and it depends if you lived in L.A. and you were trying, they were, you know, he's building a tunnel to try to fix traffic in L.A., you yeah. probably be, you probably wouldn't think that was I think they have a tunnel futile. in New York, too, now. Maybe, yeah, I mean, they do. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, not now. I think they've had one for a long time. Of Elon Musk's no. tunnel? Yeah, dude. I'm saying they, yeah, no, they have like the Holland Tunnel or whatever. They he made a tunnel. Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen that, but good, good looking out. You need Matt? Can you can you look that up, <laughs> please? <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, we will. Uh, we're gonna get going. Thank you all for listening. Please uh, like, rate, review, share the podcast. Uh, you can get at us on any of the. Uh, that live to walk again on any uh, Instagram, Facebook, I guess. <clears throat> the tunnel's in Las Vegas. Twitter is live to walk one. You can email us any questions at live to walk again at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Hope you have a great week.